Dada, Mark and I would like to welcome you all here to this uh, retreat that we're having uh, together over the next uh, eight days. And as you know, with the title of the uh, uh, retreat that uh, we've had here, I think perhaps last three or four Augusts, that we uh, kindly got the agreement of uh, IMS to uh, um, encourage more people to come who, like some of us here, uh, are not yet in the Grey Hair Club. And there's uh, one retreat in the year is for primarily for those who are in their teens. There's a young families retreat. And then it kind of missed half a generation. And there's rather a lot of golden oldies around, including teachers, not Mark, of course. And <laughs> but it won't be long. And <laughs> so out of uh, uh, this, we picked a, a date out of the year. I think, can't remember, 40, 44 years ago or something. And... Um, uh, so, that's what we set as a rough watermark. But of course, there will be a, a few of you who are uh, a little older than that, because there might be some people for whom it's the first time of being at IMS and thinking, God, <coughs> he looks young. But anyway. So, uh, let me speak to you a little bit about the uh, uh, background to the retreat, a little bit about our days here together. And then um, afterwards, Mark will speak with you and uh, Shada. And, uh, Mark has been uh, teaching with uh, uh, Shada and I in uh, recent years, and at the beginning uh, of this year, uh, Mark was teaching in Budgaya uh, in uh, India, as uh, Shada too. And Mark is uh, based on the uh, west coast, connected with the Spirit Rock Center. And. Shada and I have been uh, teaching uh, together since the mid-1980s um, here at uh, IMS on the West Coast, uh, in India and uh, elsewhere. So in coming into a retreat uh, situation, there is, of course, this very long-standing background to uh, retreats, to the kind of forms that have been established over uh, many, many uh, centuries, 25 centuries uh, at least. And the external forms and environments have, uh, have, have changed. Not dramatically, but in initially in the major expression of uh, homeless uh, men and women, this is two, three thousand years ago, who took a long time of departure from the conventions of uh, everyday life, this is primarily of course in uh, India, and adopted a way of life of extraordinary simplicity, tremendous amount of dedication and uh, renunciation, and a great deal of uh, inner work as well as service to villages, towns and communities. And these forms got established in various ways as the centuries went by, and of course a very long-standing one has been and continues to be uh, the monastic form. Men and women going into uh, monasteries, 
sometimes for short periods of time, long periods of time, lifelong uh, situations. And some of those monasteries being very diligent in maintaining and sustaining a way of life of contemplation, depth of silence and meditation, inner awarenesses, mindfulnesses through all course of activities. In taking new expressions and uh, forms and in the recent uh, generation as it slowly and gradually takes uh, uh, root uh, in, in the West, is coming about a, a recognition, and I think it's gone across the credibility threshold here, that these kind of practices and meditations are not only suitable for the disciplines of uh, monasticism, or for the cave and for the jungle and for the, for the desert, but also have a genuine and real relevance for any human being who endeavours to live as much as possible a, a caring and thoughtful life. And so what has been taking place in uh, uh, recent uh, uh, years in here, of course, in the United States, in the European Union, which has a similar kind of population, and in other parts of uh, uh, the Western world, is a growing interest in looking, could there be teachings and practices which are eminently suitable for one's life, which can be a real help in countless situations, and be of real benefit both inwardly and outwardly. And some might say, that uh, aspects and features of our culture have much to be commended, much to be uh, respected and uh, appreciated, probably equal amount to be critical about as well, but it doesn't have all the answers, it doesn't know everything. It doesn't have the means and the resources in uh, various aspects. And so there has been a reaching out by men and women from our society for some years now, a kind of inquiry to other environments, other cultures, other spiritual and religious practices, other, other forms to see what is useful and beneficial and can be integrated into our way of life. And this process is going on very sincerely and in a very, very committed way. One just takes one tradition, and just one tradition, Buddhist tradition, that I understand uh, last year in the English-speaking world there were more than 400 books on Buddhism uh, published. published. And I believe me, publishers don't publish books except with one primary motive, and we all know what that is. And the secondary motive in some publishing houses, of course, is to provide truly worthwhile books. But it's a credit to uh, and publishing houses to initiate this, but also it reflects the tremendous growth and expansion of interest. So the word for this, for those of you who are new to all of this, the word is Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. -A. Essentially a twofold meeting, meaning. One is teachings, teachings in a variety of forms. One is uh, listening to the, the, the Dharma and the second that gives support to that and they're mutually supportive are the practices. 
if there was just teachings on spiritual life, on insight, on understanding, on awareness in meditation, if it's only teachings, I suspect it would tend to sound terribly theoretical. Tend to sound, it would sound, it would be theoretical. And if it was just telling people to watch their breath, uh, to be mindful, and then we just go home, then without the actual teachings to give support, I think it would be generate rather a lot of confusion and uh, a great deal of doubt. So the two, the teachings and the practices, give support to each other, and the tradition of Dharma, tradition of teachings and practices, have said and reminded all of us again and again that the two helped facilitate great deal of uh, insight and understanding, depth and awareness, and a way of being uh, in the world which is as wise and as skillful, given who we are as human beings as we make our journey through this existence. The outcome of uh, this is a growing, increasing number of uh, retreats in various forms taking place, and I know just from looking around in the hall right now that there are plenty of you here in the hall have plenty of exposure to the, the Dharma at IMS and in uh, other facilities. In that, in coming into a uh, retreat situation, one of the useful and helpful things to uh, bear in mind with regard to all of this is uh, a key psychological component called motivation. And the Buddhist tradition somewhat uh, uh, endlessly and repetitively go on and on about motivation. But it's uh, worth in life checking in with motivation and keeping in touch with ourselves with regard to it as much as possible. And certainly that applies in arriving and entering into a retreat environment. Sometimes others may have persuaded you to come on a retreat, you have no idea why, they may even have driven you here and gleefully dropped you off <laughs> for a, a week. Who knows what the motivations may have been for their kind offer to leave you here. Uh, but more importantly, of course, in all of this is uh, you have the motivation. People don't last very long on retreats if they just arrived because they're terrified of a week without their partner or because they've been pressurized to coming uh, here or because they couldn't think of anything else uh, to do with such a lousy summer or whatever it might be. So it takes some motivation to say, yeah, come on retreat got a period of time here of eight days, not a desperately long period in a life, and to have that quiet and sustained motivation just to stay steady uh, with it from uh, one day to the next. So the major motivation here is hang in, stay put, stay steady, and a week tomorrow is not far away. And uh, if you all succeed in all of that, all credit uh, to you.
some people haven't yet uh, um, uh, arrived and you can see that list on the notice board there and we uh, uh, hope good situation that they'll arrive tomorrow some one or two people have phoned I understand because of this dangerable weather situation and tra traffic jams and probably gone to a party tonight but nevertheless when they arrive we hope their motivation will be as strong as all of yours in coming into a retreat and in the totality of the, situa the situation, there are uh, a few features uh, of it. Uh, one is with regard to uh, silence. Another uh, is with regard just to the day itself. And with that, there are a number of primary uh, areas. One area, of course, the meditations. And uh, we, that's Mark Shadra and I, during the days, various ways, will endeavour to give as clear and as comprehensive uh, meditation instructions as possible so that you really have a sense and uh, know what the day is from one day to the next. Those meditation instructions are uh, given in the first sitting after breakfast this morning, each morning, and your presence at that time is uh, very important and helpful. It's the first sitting after breakfast. During the days uh, as well, there are the times when we uh, meet with you. We have a number of uh, small groups uh, regularly throughout the retreat. They'll start tomorrow uh, afternoon. We'll be putting on, probably by the end of the morning, the times, locations, etc., etc., for all, uh, all of that. So it's helpful, again, that you do check regularly the, the notice board. Is also we make some uh, 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 spaces for some one-to-one uh, -one and we'll put up uh, some information about that uh, as well uh, for you. So this, particularly with the small groups, does give the three of us here time and opportunity to meet with you uh, during uh, the retreat. Also during the retreat there are guided meditation and inquiry periods and we'll tell you about that uh, as well. So it's a rather a, 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 full, a full day. And uh, in the, the day kicking off in the morning at uh, uh, 6 o'clock and running through till uh, late in the evening. And of course on the notice board there is the time uh, table. Each evening one of us will give the evening uh, talk. This generally lasts for around about 40 minutes. And with the evening talk, again in the act of the listening itself, that with the listening, that hopefully um, uh, everything which we say will be uh, helpful and uh, useful and sometimes uh, insightful and sometimes even inspirational, etc. And of course we're... Um, um, uh, delighted and over the moon about it and sometimes in giving the uh, evening talk some um, uh, one-liners uh, are said which are, are off the wall 102% of those tend to come from myself and uh, so if you do hear any, hear, uh, any of those uh, there which uh, sometimes people end up using long letters to me to 
asking me why I said it. So um, don't hesitate. Just mention it in a small group, as people have been doing for the last 25 years, and uh, other, sit other situations are there. But I'm trying to be mindful when speaking. And um, uh, with the evening uh, talks, essential motivation. For myself, as Shadra and Mark, of course, that teachings are helpful and uh, su supportive and genuinely beneficial. And that's the, the, the primary thing there, and it's with life and uh, spontaneous things in life. Sometimes things are not very clearly said, not very well said. Sometimes we must all remember that we have a great deal of space between the two ears. God gave us this space so things could pass through clearly. And you'll have opportunities to practice that. So uh, with the day and the, the, the fullness of the day, it is getting into the rhythm and the flow uh, of the day uh, there. And just one small point I want to uh, mention, too, is that with some of the threads and the themes of uh, the retreat, being grounded and centered as a human being, being truly present to the moment, to really experience what it really means to be here and now, and not as a theory or as a nice idea, to really be vigilant with the uh, uh, inner life, to really be in contact as much as possible with things from one moment to the next. To live as well and as consciously as we can when we, when we sit, when we walk, when we stand, when we recline, when we eat, when we bend, when we stretch, when we brush our teeth, when we listen, when we, when we, when we speak, when we're indoors, when we're outdoors, etc. Life is to be led as much as we can as human beings on this earth, as consciously and as mindfully, uh, as possible. And through the whole process of being as mindful and as conscious human beings as, as we can, it gives us a real opportunity to see what is to be recognized and appreciated and what is awake and clear with us. And it also, through a conscious and mindful uh, way, gives us the opportunity to see what needs to be attended to, looked at with much more care and sensitivity and uh, uh, acknowledgement and all of that is part of the process of uh, ensuring a, a truly conscious life and awakened life as the, the Buddha said and the great freedom that comes from being awake to what is and correspondingly being awake to, to what we need to be very clear about. And all of that is a, a real process and I think what is being shown in the last uh, generation of men and women in the, uh, in the West, in various uh, parts, of the, parts of the world, these practices which you lend an ear on here, which you practice and develop here, really are a real benefit and of great importance in the daily life situation, because that's where the metal of them finally gets tested. Here we learn, here we develop the skills. Here we find out the significance and of certain themes uh, of, of life. Noble Eightfold Path, right speech, right understanding, right livelihood, etc. And in the daily life we see how is all of this really fitting into finding real wisdom in our daily life. Live well in this world no matter what. 
So at this time, uh, Mark will uh, speak to you, and then uh, Jada will uh, follow. So good evening. Uh, it's delightful to be here, as usual, um, and very nice to be on this particular retreat since there's such a, uh, a wealth of the younger generations, uh, which I feel part of. Um, I run a group in San Francisco, which I'll soon be redundant in because it's only for the 20s and 30s, and uh, I'll soon be dis disallowed of going myself. Um, but I'm well within the reach of 1956. <laughs> Actually, I was just uh, invited recently to a, to a sangha, and um, I was aware that it was quite a, an older sangha, and I said to them, I said, you know, I'm 35, and, you know, is that going to be an issue? And so they took it to their board, and there was an 84-year-old board member, a silver-haired lady, a very strong stalwart member of the Sangha. And she said, we need young blood. She says, if we don't have young teachers, how are we going to invite young people to come and sit with us? So that was a good encouragement to hear. So I want to talk a little about um, the ethical guidelines that we have for this retreat and for any retreat that we do. Uh, the guidelines we offer as um, training principles on this retreat. There's, there's five basic ethical guidelines that the Buddha talked about as being a foundation for one's practice in daily life. As Christopher mentioned about motivation, uh, in terms of our practice, we practice not just for ourselves. We practice for the welfare of others. We practice in the context here at IMS. We practice in the context of community. We're really a large community of about 120 or 30 people. And the ethical guidelines help to support and serve the harmony and care that we, we can have for each other. So traditionally, um, the Buddha's teaching can be looked at in terms of the threefold way. And that is uh, three limbs of the path, the first being ethics, the second being meditation, and the third being wisdom. And it's seen as the ethical, uh, the ethics are like the foundation of the whole path. And it really serves as a base from which to support our meditation. When we're living an ethical, kind, caring, compassionate life, it, it, it supports the mind to feel a natural sense of well-being. When we're doing a lot of things that are unskillful, that are harmful, uh, it creates turbulence, it creates restlessness, it creates anxiety, it creates guilt, fear. Um, so we're really orienting our life towards that which is more harmonious, which creates more harmony in the mind and provides a natural foundation for our meditation and from that place uh, wisdom can develop. So the first of the ethical guidelines, uh, which we really offer as, as training principles on the retreat, and you can take it as a training uh, while you're here if you're not familiar with this particular uh, system, uh, to, take, to take it on as a, in a spirit of inquiry, in a spirit of investigation, of, to see how these guidelines and principles work for you and, and, and what effect do they have when you put them into practice. So the first one is refraining from killing or cultivating a quality of of loving-kindness um, and non-harming towards all life. And here we are in Massachusetts in summer, and there's uh, at least four or five biting bugs I've discovered. 
Um, there's mosquitoes, and there's deer flies, and there's uh, horse flies, and even something called noceums, which are apparently things you can't see but bite, um, which you may have difficulty in harming, but anyhow, if you did see them. So there, there are little tests, uh, uh, challenges when you're out walking in the woods or just uh, doing some walking uh, outside. Um, and we're really cultivating that quality of seeing if we can extend uh, that sense of love and kindness, of care towards all life. All living creatures deserve the fundamental right to live. So taking that, for some that might be a little bit of a challenge, um, but just seeing if you can uh, notice the mind that gets reactive when it wants to reach out to uh, kill or swat a fly or a bug something we often do quite habitually, um, and it, we're just bringing the quality of awareness to, to all of our actions. It's unlikely that anybody will be committing killing towards each other, but sometimes when our neighbor is breathing very noisily or somebody's keeping us up at night, the, the, you know, those feelings, strong feelings can arise of wanting to, wanting to uh, create some harm in some way. And I, and I say this jokingly, but, but it can happen. Uh, tensions and can build up between people. And just to uh, remember the guideline of cultivating the quality of non-harming and seeing if we can practice a sense of restraint. The second is refraining from taking that which isn't freely given. And uh, in the context of being here, um, it could be something as simple as respecting people's property, so not taking somebody's nice new zafu or pashmina shawl that you might see lying around, um, and, it's, and also respecting the property and uh, things at IMS, uh, not taking things, say, from the kitchen, uh, but just being respectful to uh, the property of others and really taking things that have just been offered. Um, that also applies to the food and um, bringing some care to the amount of food we eat, seeing if we can practice a, uh, some moderation with food. And in the dining room, there's certain foods left out for people who have special dietary restrictions. And so please just take, I think that they may have already mentioned this, but that um, you know, respecting the uh, food that's given to certain people. And we can also think about this precept in terms of uh, looking at our relationship to how we use resources and uh, whether it's water or lights or, you know, really um, bring some attention to the uh, interconnected uh, nature of things. So in being aware of the fact that uh, as humans we do consume a vast amount of resources and it has its impact. And in a way, um, the earth does freely give this and at the same time there is consequences for our actions. So just, again, bring some awareness to our use of resources the third training principle or ethical guideline is in, in our general lives is to refrain from sexual harm, from sexual misconduct that creates harm for oneself or others. In the context of a retreat, um, we, the, the principle is uh, complete refraining from all sexual activity with oneself or others. Um, and we do that in the, in the spirit of 
the retreat really is a, an, is a very wonderful environment where we can actually uh, turn our attention inward. You know, most of our lives, we really are focusing so much on external things, uh, on goals, on people, on things we want to get. Uh, somebody referred to it as we walk around with those goggles where the eyes pop out. We walk around kind of seeking things and looking, for, looking to the external to, to fulfill us in some way. And so the retreat gives us an, an opportunity to really turn within and actually and really look and inquire uh, into, into the depths of who we are. And so the, se- the refrain from sexual activity just is one more way we can turn the attention inward. So that's not to say that you may not be attracted to other people here, and that's quite natural, but just be aware of the stories that you might create around somebody, uh, or, or in any way you may um, uh, act that out. And again, just being respectful to people's space and their, their, their own interest to, to uh, look within. The fourth training principle, or ethical guideline, is refraining, uh, in, in our daily lives, it would be refraining from speech which is uh, untrue or harmful. Uh, in the context of this retreat, um, we're practicing what's called noble silence, and Shada will talk more about that. The fifth training principle is refraining from any kind of intoxicant that clouds the mind. So traditionally, that would be consumption of alcohol, drugs, uh, that which really affects the quality of our awareness. And the reason that that, that training principle is there because what is, once the uh, awareness is dulled or clouded, we're more likely to act impulsively, reactively, uh, and potentially harmfully. So it's there as a sort of a, a safeguard for our own well-being and the well-being of others. For those who are taking uh, necessary prescribed medications, obviously, please continue to take whatever um, medication you need on the retreat. We can also think about other things that might cloud our awareness. Um, Generally, the retreat environment is an environment where it's cultivating a sense of uh, wakefulness. But we can use things... um, one of those is, is uh, the big event of the day, which is the, the midday meal. Uh, and just being watchful of the relationship between how we're feeling and how much we eat, and how much we don't want to feel and how much we feel like eating. And just being, just being aware that the more we eat, the more cloudy and dull the mind can be for the few hours after the meal. And the same with sleep. Um, having a balance with the amount of sleep that we, that we, that we have. There is about seven or eight hours uh, sleep time in the schedule. Uh, and just being watchful of the tendency to oversleep uh, and, again, how that can dull the mind. So, again, I just want re- to reiterate that these training principles, these ethical guidelines, are really offered as something just to look into and inquire into. Um, as one teacher talks about, we have guidelines and we practice the form, the meditation form, the retreat form, uh, with a sense of uh, outer discipline, with a sense of outer restraint. And yet inwardly, we're cultivating a quality of 
spaciousness and ease. So it's a balance of, of both restraint and space. So I'll, I'll just go through the list to the five precepts again, and maybe as I go through them, you can just silently um, make a note of them to yourself and, and see uh, what resonates for you in terms of how to apply these in, in, in your days here. So the first principle, I undertake the training principle to refrain from killing. I undertake the training principle to refrain from taking that which isn't freely given. I undertake the training principle to refrain from all sexual activity. I undertake the training principle of noble silence. I undertake the training principle to refrain from taking intoxicants that cloud the mind. It's said that the uh, ethical guidelines are really the natural expression of an awakened mind, the natural expression of how a living Buddha would live in this earth. And so in a way, we're cultivating the quality of how to live an awakened life in the world in the context of the retreat. So that's all for now. Shada will talk some more about silence. It's uh, wonderful to be here again. Christopher and I teach two retreats here each year. We come in the spring and then we come here this time of year. In the spring, it's very gray and there's no leaves on the tree, trees. And it's somewhat bleak in, in the environment. We come here in the summer and it's just so lush and fertile and the trees are so full of leaves. And it's such a wonderful contrast and the air, the humidity in the air, the warmth. It's, it's a lovely time to be here. And it's wonderful to see so many familiar faces as well. And welcome back to IMS and also to those of you who are relatively new and those of you who have been here a number of times as well that I don't know very well. I look forward to getting to know you. We come to this retreat uh, to, in a way, take advantage of the opportunity that's here for us in this environment. The environment is generated in such a way that it really gives support for us to do deep inquiry, deep meditation, deep reflection into our own minds, our hearts, our whole being. And so here in this retreat center, everything is taken care of for you as much as possible that we can do for you so that you have very, very little that you have to do, which really gives you ample opportunity to be with yourselves in maybe a way that you have never experienced before, in a completely fresh way. 
And in that, it allows the opportunity for you to slow down, to really move much more slowly. And different people will have different lifestyles and move at different paces in their lives. But I think for the most part, probably most people are moving pretty quickly because that seems to be what's happening in our culture right now. And here we can really put it all aside, put everything aside, put all of our commitments and our responsibilities, our roles, our the way that we project ourselves in the world, our image of ourselves, our identities, and we can, as much as possible, let it all go and just see what emerges when we really let go of the way that we know ourselves to be or the way that we think about things in the past and generate that into the future. Find out what emerges within our own being when we move into the moment, the moment's experience in a fresh way an unburdened way. And so we can really slow down and take time here, take time as we meet each experience as we go through the day, as we eat our food and brush our teeth and walk out in nature and look at the trees and the birds and feel the air on our face and skin. Take time with all of that. It's such a wonderful opportunity that we so rarely have a chance to, to have when we're moving very quickly in our life. All this is part of the meditation. Well, certainly we have the formal practice, the formal technique that we will uh, give instructions for in the hall, but really the meditation is about waking up into life, meeting life wholly with an open heart, with an open mind, in a fresh way. We might even say with beginner's mind with beginner's mind. And a beginner's mind is even those people who have done years and years of retreats, years of practice, or those who are sitting down in a cross-legged position or on a chair in a meditative post posture for the first time. Because every moment is a new moment. Every moment is a fresh opportunity to meet life in a new way. This is really the meditation that we will be practicing here. And in that atmosphere, in the environment, we hold the retreats in silence. And that means that from this time on, that you won't be engaging in uh, dialogue with each other, except perhaps when we have some groups, uh, group interviews. But for the most part, the functional talking uh, dies away. The social interaction dies away between you. There will be times, of course, where you'll need to interact with the managers or the staff in some way. You'll need to ask questions, or you'll need to ask us questions, and that's absolutely fine. But for the most part, you will be uh, remaining within the silence for the next eight days. And the silence is really something very precious for us here. As the days go on, the silence becomes something very tangible. We can almost taste it or touch it or feel it. It becomes something that's a very elemental aspect of being here on the retreat. And that silence, the outer silence, begins to reflect back to us an inner silence or an inner stillness that we easily lose touch with. We start to feel a silence that permeates our entire being and is potentially accessible to us in any instant. 
And so as we allow ourselves to go deeper and deeper into the silence, we begin to touch that which connects all of us and runs through everything. So the silence is very important, and I really want to encourage people and ask people to make an agreement to keep the silence for this eight days that we're here together. And particularly if you've arrived with some partner, somebody who you're in a relationship with, or a close friend, or family member, sometimes the, with those people it's a little bit, uh, e uh, the, the, the desire or the interest to want to make some contact may arise, but just to really let it go, let it die, let it rest, and see if you can stay very much with yourselves. And in this way, you pay respect to yourself and you res pay respect to each person who's here for each one to be able to go through their own process, their own journey, for however that's going to manifest during these eight days. This really provides an atmosphere of safety and trust and respect for each one of us here. So um, why don't we take just a quick stretch just for a moment or minute or two, and then we'll have some meditation before we end the evening tonight. So we'll have a short meditation this evening because uh, many of you have been traveling long distances and probably are quite tired. Uh, also, uh, Christopher <laughs> reminded me that actually it's 2.30 in the morning for him right now, coming from England this uh, afternoon, so in respect to Christopher <laughs> as well. So... Um, <laughs> comfortably in your posture. Keeping the back relatively upright. Allowing the chest to be relatively open, the belly soft, hands resting easily on your knees or in your lap. Just let the breath flow easily and naturally. Perhaps taking a couple of deep breaths to begin, just to make contact with your breathing. And 
Let your body relax. Allow the eyes to gently close, or if you're feeling particularly tired, you may want to keep your eyes open. Looking downward, three to five feet in front of you. And on the out-breath, letting the whole body relax. Being the mind alert and bright. And allow your attention to rest with the in-breath and the out-breath as you breathe, making contact directly with each breath. Being aware of the body, breathing. You may be aware of the sounds in the room and the sounds outside. Just letting those sounds being there in the background of your experience. Bringing your attention to your breathing. Not changing your breath in any way, but rather noticing how it is that you're breathing. Using the breath as your anchor Anchoring the attention, the awareness in the present moment, here and now, just as it is. aware of breathing in and aware of breathing out without changing anything.
notice being drawn into your thinking. Simply reconnect with your breathing. Coming back again and again to the simplicity of your breath. Thank you. It was a short sitting, and if anyone would like to continue with their meditation this evening, please feel free to do that. The meditation hall is always open for extended sitting times. Tomorrow morning, we'll uh, have the wake-up bell at 6 o'clock with the first sitting at 6.30 and breakfast at 7.15. So, uh, if, those, if there's some people who are particularly exhausted, you've traveled a long way, and you really feel that you need to sleep in in the morning, do feel free. We'll make uh, tomorrow morning a little more optional than the other mornings to give you a little leeway with that. But please do come to breakfast at 7.15 so you can get your nourishment. And then we'll uh, continue with the day, with the work period at 8.15, and our first... Um, Maybe I'm off. I can't see. <laughs> I think it's, uh, what does that say? 8.30. <laughs> anyway, you can, you can check the schedule. Okay. Work <laughs> I don't have my glasses. Okay, work period at 8 o'clock, and then I think the first sitting's at 9 o'clock after breakfast, where we'll give the full instructions for the day. So um, please enjoy your evening. If you are rooming with somebody and you haven't said hello to that person yet, do please feel free to say hello. It makes the week easier if you've actually introduced yourselves to each other and just talk about any logistical things that you need to in terms of the windows, the lights, uh, doors, all that sort of thing. And just to get that sorted out, it really does make the week easier. <laughs>
And if there's any last-minute phone calls or anything that you need to take care of for business, uh, please do that tonight so that you can be free of that for the week as well. So thank you very much, and have a good rest, and we'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.